Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. We've already spoken about the armor of God in general, and now we're going to look at uh, some specific articles. So we begin in verse number 10, verses that we've already considered. We get the context for what we're about to speak of tonight. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And that's where we settle down tonight for the next few minutes. We want to speak tonight about the girdle of truth. We want to describe the article, define the armor, and discuss the application. So first of all, let's, uh, let's define the article that he mentions here. Your loins girt about with truth. Um, wow, this just doesn't seem to fit in with modern day, you know, terminology or thinking whatsoever. So we have to go back in our mind's eye to the day in which Paul lived, where there, no doubt, in his prison cell, he watched those Roman guards and soldiers and saw how they were adorned. And the Holy Spirit pointed this out to Paul. And he speaks about a girdle, or we might call it a sash, something that would encircle the body as a, a, a belt. And, and, and it seems like a very, in, you know, a simple piece of equipment and something that's really not even noteworthy at all. But in those days, this was a very important piece of their equipment. The men back then wore long, loose uh, uh, flowing robes, and the girdle is used, of course, to bind up the garments during the time of work or warfare, whatever the case might be, and then bind up the robe and, you know, put the belt, the girdle, the sash on, tighten it up, and that would keep your feet from being entangled and causing you to, to fall. The Bible spoke about John the Baptist wearing a leather girdle. And uh, that was typical of the poor class people in those days because the wealthy people would wear a girdle, you know, that was made of silk or uh, linen or, you know, some, some fancy material. And it might be even adorned in gold and jewels and things of that nature. But some form of the girdle was, was uh, considered a part of everyday dress. But it was essential for the soldiers because the soldier could not fight effectively if he's encumbered by a long robe. And if he's going to move fast, if he's going to move freely, then he cannot allow himself to become entangled and fall down. And if you're laying there on the ground and, you know, and all wrapped up in your robe, why, you don't stand much of a chance. And uh, so they use this in order to 
provide the freedom and the liberty that they needed. But also, the girdle was used for another purpose, and that was, as we use pockets today, they used the girdle, maybe a fold within the sash, uh, to store stuff. It, it might be provisions. It might be a weapon. You know, today, most of us, most of us men, somewhere in one of our pockets, we've got a, we've got a pocket knife. And, uh, some of us got two or three pocket knives in different pockets. But, uh, in those days, they didn't have pockets like we do. And so they'd stick their sword, their knife, or, you know, whatever in the girdle. So this makes it a very important part of the function that was necessary for them to be in a state of readiness. And, and that was the thought in mind back in Luke chapter number 12 and verse 35 where he says, let your loins be girt about. And so that, that's what he was speaking about there. And that's what Paul is speaking about as he describes this particular article. But we need to go a step beyond describing the article. We need to actually define the armor. What in the world is he talking about? Well, notice he says that we are to notice that your your loins be girt about with truth. And, and so this is the subject at hand. Now, here's the question. What does he mean when he talks about the truth? That really sounds simple and easy for anybody to answer. The problem is, it's not all that simple because some preachers have confused this issue and they have taught that it speaks about sincerity and honesty. You'd be surprised what well-known, famous preachers say that's what this means, that we've got to be transparent, we've got to be honest, we've got to be sincere. And they claim that this is what he's talking about. They claimed that this could not have a reference to truth in regards to God's Word, because later on, the Word of God is, is, is described there as being the sword of the Spirit. And so they say, well, it would be redundant to refer to the Bible over there and over here both. But they're wrong. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. Whenever we think about us in combat against satanic powers... When we think about us ministering to other people, trying to accomplish our purpose in this world, it is indeed very evident that we cannot be successful unless we are open, honest, and sincere. All of those things are very important in us accomplishing God's goal for our life. But there are a lot of people that are very sincere that are absolutely, totally unprepared for the battle they're in. You see, sincerity alone is never enough. And so if he just speaks about having your loins girt about with sincerity, listen, that's not going to get the job done. We need more than that. We need the truth. Isn't it amazing how simple the Bible is if you just let the Bible say what it says, and just take it for what it says. Your loins gird about with the truth. Now, whenever he speaks about the truth here, and and later on you'll notice he speaks about the sword of the Spirit, which he says in verse number 17 is the Word of God. What's the difference in the two? 
Here's the difference. The girdle has a defensive purpose. And, and, and as a sword, notice it, it, he says, whenever he talks about the Word of God being the sword, the sword is not just defensive, but is mainly an offensive weapon. So, on one hand, he speaks about the, the truth in an objective sense. In other words, as the girdle. He's talking about the truth as a girdle being in the objective sense. He's talking about the entirety of the Word of God, whereas whenever he speaks about the Bible as the sword of the Spirit, and we'll look at this later on, and you'll see it very clearly, he, he, he uses a, a particular word there in reference to the Word that tells us that he's speaking about some specific part of the Bible. So, on one hand, where we have our loins girt about with truth, this is talking about all of the truth of the Word of God. Are you with me? Whereas when he talks about the Bible or the Word of God as a sword, he's speaking about a specific part of the Bible. Remember when Jesus was being tempted of Satan, and of course in each instance Jesus responded to the temptation by doing what? By quoting the Word of God. But he did not just quote any part of the Word of God, did he? He quoted the specific parts of God's Word that related to the issue at hand. You see, the Bible is not some magical book. It's, it's not, you know, uh, something that we can just use by way of uh, warding off evil or uh, a good luck charm or something. Uh, Whenever the pressure's on and the temptation's great and Satan is fighting, just quoting some part of the Bible isn't going to help you. You better quote the right part of the Bible. Are you with me? So this is the difference between the two. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who uh, is a very famous preacher many years ago, wrote, I think, the best description of this of anybody that I've read. And I jotted it down, and it's a little bit long, but I want to take time to read it. Here's what he said. I, therefore, interpret the word truth in the context to mean a belief in and a knowledge of the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. It is the objective truth which I possess in a subjective manner. It means a mastery of the truth, but it also means being mastered by the truth. I am held by the truth. This is the thing that binds me and holds me together and puts me on my feet and gives me vigor and strength and power. Its truth gets hold of me and governs my whole attitude to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to everything that happens. I have girded myself with it. It means that we have a settled conviction with regard to the truth. It means that there are no uncertainties, no doubts, and that means nothing less than that we should know when we have been believe, and we should know what we believe. And he's absolutely right in that regards. Listen to what the Bible says of itself. John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 17, verse 17 says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. 1 Peter 5 and verse 9, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. 
And whenever he talks about the faith, he's speaking about the body of truth that we believe as Christians. For example, when Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. He's not speaking about faith in the sense of our confidence or trust in God. He's speaking about the body of truth that we believe. When we talk about sharing our faith with other people, we ought to mean more than telling them about our confidence in Christ. We better be telling them the truth that is declared in the Word of God. That's what it's all about here. So he says, notice whom resist, talking about resisting the evil forces that are against us, resisting Satan. Resist, notice, steadfast in the faith. So it is the truth that protects us. It's the truth that liberates us. It's the truth that sets us free and enables us to not be encumbered about where we would fall and as a result, fail. Now, that leaves us with one last thought, and that is the application discussed. You know, it's well and good to look at what we've already talked about and just leave it there. You know, that leaves it all in the realm of theory. That, you know, that is just, that's just cold, hard, lifeless facts. But what we really need to do is to make an application with this and discuss it. Now, if we're talking about the truth, and we are, then we're talking about the Bible, the Word of God. And we need to see our need for it, because most people don't, by the way. Most people have no idea how important the Bible is. Now, Paul just got through telling us that we're engaged not in a warfare against flesh, but we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. We're in a battle, as it were, against Satan and all of the satanic powers that follow him. Do you remember when Jesus, as he was speaking about Satan, said that Satan is a liar and the father of it, a liar and the father of it. So, listen, Satan is constantly trying to deceive us in order that he might mislead us. That's precisely what he did there in the garden. You'll remember that as he's tempting Eve, and, and Eve says, oh no, we dare not do that. You know, God said, you know, if we touch it, we're going to die, which that's really not what God said. She's added to the word, but Satan's response was, oh, ye shall not surely die. Ah, you're not going to really die. It's not going to be that bad. It'll be all right. In fact, he goes on and makes the suggestion that you'll actually improve yourself because you'll know good and evil and you'll become like God yourself. So in order for Satan to confuse people, he must deceive people. And that's why Jesus said that he is a liar. You've heard people say, well, it doesn't make any difference what you really believe, just as long as you're sincere. And that's why we're in the mess we're in today, because people refuse to acknowledge the Bible, the Word of God, as the absolute truth and final authority in all matters. That, that's why they, they, they speak about truth being relative. Well, it just depends on the situation you're in, you know. Is it right or wrong to lie? Well, and you know, it all depends. You know, there, there could be instances where it'd be all right to lie or cheat or, you know, or whatever. But when we look at the Word of God, we're looking at the absolute truth without error. 
And that ought to be our final authority. So ask yourself tonight, what is your final authority? What is it that you depend upon for guidance? Where do you look for answers to the tough questions of life? I want to tell you, if you depend on your reasoning, if you depend on your feelings, if you depend on tradition or popular opinion, you're going to end up in air and you'll suffer the consequences. And that's why I keep on saying, don't you ever believe anything just because I say it's true. You know, it's real easy for uh, for a church to, you know, have confidence uh, in his pastor and hear him preach week after week. And he gets up and he says something and, you know, they just accept that. Well, surely, surely, you know, he, he, he must be right about it. After all, he studies the Bible a lot and he surely wouldn't be wrong about that. Listen, don't you ever just assume that I'm right. And don't ever just, you know, just swallow whatever I say. You need to be able to take the Word of God for yourself and study the Word of God and discover whether it's true or not. Now, notice, Paul's speaking about a warfare, and repeatedly he reminds us that we are to stand. That is, that we're not to fall. We're not to become a casualty. But in this struggle, he tells us, I want you to stand. And that was the purpose of girding yourself about with the truth, that you might stand. Well, listen, if we're going to stand, we must stand then in the truth. Because the truth is the only protection from error. Our foundation, our firm foundation, is the Word of God. Right? What else are we going to depend upon? And whenever we've got our life, as it were, girded about with the truth, when it's the thing that we reference everything else to, when it is the thing that we depend upon for guidance and strength and encouragement and everything else, we'll be able to stand. Here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verse 14, notice what Paul says. He says, "...be no more children..." tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, that is, teaching. Now, notice what he says next. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. In other words, these men that would mislead you, notice, it's not that they are just you know, sincere and unintentionally mislead you. But what are they doing? They're plotting all of this. They lie in wait. They do what they do intentionally. They knowingly are misleading you away from the truth. And you know, that's the dangerous thing today because, now notice he said, don't be like little children. And remember, He's speaking, basically, to adults, to believers, to Christians. But he says, be no more children. We all know that children can be persuaded to believe almost anything, right? You take a little kid that's four or five, six years old, and uh, mom or dad, you know, can, well, we can tell them about the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, and wow, no... We don't have any difficulty at all, do we? Are you with me? They can be easily deceived. But listen, there are a lot of adults that are just as easily deceived. 
You, you take somebody that maybe they've got a pleasing smile and a pleasant personality, and maybe they're a gifted speaker, and they come along, and, and, and all of a sudden, these people begin to follow that man. Maybe I should say today, or that woman. You know, we've got some uh, fairly famous women preachers today, by the way. And uh, Joyce, what's her name? Well, I better not go there. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. How did, how did we get so far from where we started out? We allowed people to deceive us. And here comes some man along that with a, a great oratorical ability and this wonderful, pleasing smile and charming personality. And the next thing you know, he's gathered a following and they're building one of the biggest churches in America. And after a while, it's a mega church. And after a while, this famous guy is writing books and people are nearly falling down at his feet worshiping him. And what they don't know is that he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Turn back just a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians 11, and listen carefully to what Paul says, beginning in verse number 13. And in verse 13, notice he speaks about false apostles and deceitful workers. And then he says, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. That word apostle means a sent one. In other words, they're convincing others that God has sent them. And, and some today even have the audacity to use the word apostle to describe themselves. I can show you churches right here in this area where the pastor calls himself apostle so-and-so. Amazing. And people following. Verse 14, and no marvel. In other words, don't be surprised, don't be shocked by this. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You see, that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's why Paul found it necessary again and again and again to warn people about who they listen to and for them to have their loins girt about with truth so they would not easily be misled. I've noticed over the years, especially with new Christians, it, it, it just seems like that, uh, you know, that the devil knows every time that happens and it won't be long after that new Christian has made a profession of faith that there will be a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or some cult knocking on their door and trying to confuse them. Have you ever noticed that? I'm telling you, it happens a lot. And it happens for a reason, because the cults prey on people that have expressed an interest, you know, in spiritual things, and they play on that and prey on them 
And you'd be surprised how many of them spend a good number of years of their life being confused by these false religions. Now, if we're going to win the battle over Satan, then we've got to do exactly what the Bible says. Here in Second Peter, First Peter 1, verse 13, says, "...gird up the loins of your, loins of your mind." Now, I read that verse for a reason. Notice Paul just speaks about girding yourself about, girding your loins about with truth. The loins, that's where, you know, uh, where our strength is. That's our, our center of strength. And as we girt ourselves up with that, it enables us to project strength from that part of our body to our, to our, the limbs of our body. You know, I don't know if you've ever ever put on a weightlifter's belt. You know, you know the big wide leather belts. I mean, uh, I, I put those on, and boy, let me tell you, you can strap yourself up with one of those things. You'll be amazed how much that big old wide leather belt can help you in lifting heavy weights and things. And so the girdle could be used in that regards. But but the interesting thing here is that. Peter makes reference to the mind. The mind, and he says, gird up the loins of your mind. So why would he do that? Well, he does it because, I said a few weeks ago, the battlefield is our mind. That's where it's all taking place, you see. And the mind of a Christian ought to be clear, it ought to be discerning, it ought to be unhampered by selfish and sinful thoughts. We've got to know the truth if we're going to be guarded against error. Turn back now to Second Corinthians again, back one more chapter this time, to chapter 10, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And we've already talked about that. We don't war in the flesh because we don't fight against the flesh, right? We're in a spiritual warfare. So we're not in a fight one against the other. We're in a fight against satanic powers. But notice what he says next. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Now listen carefully to this. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It ought to be so very easy to see how this relates to our problems today. The battle is for your mind. Satan knows that if he can capture your mind, he can control your life. And folks, I'm telling you, I don't think any of us understand fully exactly how much we are affected by Satan. And you've probably had experiences like why in the world am I thinking about this, right? I mean, something just popped into your mind. You didn't want to go there. And just all of a sudden, you're focused on this. And I'm telling you, it's Satan. 
The devil is able to put these thoughts in our mind. In other words, it's sort of like, you know, he can lay them on our doorstep and, uh, you know, he puts it all up in a package and, you know, on a nice little bow to where it's something that looks attractive and, and, you know, we open up this package and whatever it is and all of a sudden he has captured our attention and we're focused on something that is a detriment to our Christian life. He knows, remember, Jesus said, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. And Satan knows that if he can deceive us, then he can bind us in shackles and eventually ruin us. And we think today of the situation we're in. Why are we in the mess we're in? How did we get where we are? It's really very simple, but most people haven't figured it out. We are where we are because we have abandoned the truth of God's Word, as I said a while ago. Outside Christians, outside the church, and by the way, there's a good percentage of people in Baptist churches that would tell you they do not believe in any such thing as absolute truth. They'd tell you they believe certain parts of the Bible are true, but they'll tell you right out that they do not believe everything in the Bible is 100% accurate. They believe that there are, you know, historical errors and scientific errors and so on and so forth. But we got where we are because of the fact that we have forsaken the old paths. There was a time that Christians, I mean, it was just a given. If you claim to be a child of God, you automatically believed everything that the Bible said. Well, when you believe everything that the Bible says, it's going to affect the way that you live. Am I right? It's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect the words you say. It's going to affect the places you go and the things you do. And everything's going to be governed by the Word of God. And now we reach the place that there's no such thing as absolute truth. So what happens? Well, we don't see any need for studying the Word of God. And listen, if the truth is known, the average church member spends very little time really studying God's Word. They just don't do it. I think, and I believe it with all of my heart, that, that every person in this building would be absolutely shocked if we knew how little our own members actually study the Word of God. How many minutes a day they spend in the Word of God. I've always said, you know, the best thing I think anybody can do as a Christian by way of of being fed by God's Word is to become a teacher. And, And, you know, that way you're on the spot. You know, you've got to be ready next week. You've got a class to teach. You've got to study. You've got to learn. Because some little smart aleck kid about eight or nine years old is going to ask you a question. And you're going to find yourself out on a limb without an answer. And so you've got to study. And you've got to anticipate what they might ask. And prepare yourself to be ready to answer that question. Now, I know we're not all Sunday school teachers. We all don't work in Awada and so forth. But I want to tell you, every single one of us needs to think about ourselves as being a teacher to someone. And if we can ever get that in our mind, remember when Paul was writing in Hebrews, at least I believe it was Paul, the author of Hebrews, as he was writing about the immaturity of those believers, 
he made this statement. He said, for when the time has come that ye ought to be teachers. <laughs> he said, you have need somebody teach you the very basics all over again. And he's saying, you know, that's evidence that you've never really matured. You ought to be teachers. And that's true of all of us. But before we can be teachers, before we can be used of God to instruct others in the way of righteousness, we've got to be students ourselves. And that requires a commitment on our part that from now on, we're going to spend a significant part of our time studying the Word of God and submitting ourselves to what God says. Because, listen, if we don't, we don't stand a chance against the devil. Unless the Bible is our guiding light, we're going to make the wrong decisions. Unless we're strengthened by feeding on a regular diet of God's Word, we're not going to have the strength to resist temptation. Unless we are encouraged by the exceeding great and precious promises of God, we're going to get discouraged and eventually we're going to fall instead of stand. We're going to suffer defeat. That's why I keep saying, we look at somebody, you know, backslidden and they've fallen away from the Lord, and we wonder to ourselves, how could that have happened so suddenly? Well, it didn't happen suddenly. It wasn't a blowout like you think. It was a slow leak. It took place over a long period of time, and finally they got to that place that they so neglected their spiritual life that they fell. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, back around 1860, something like that, made a statement in regards to the Bible, God's Word, that I jotted down. I've got a little notebook where I keep a lot of famous sayings in that I make reference to. And I've often read this one. It's one of my favorites. And I want to close by reading what he wrote way back then. He said, The Bible is a vein of pure gold unalloyed by quartz or any earthly substance. This is a star without a speck, a sun without a blot, a light without darkness, a moon without paleness, a glory without dimness. Oh, Bible, it cannot be said of any other book that it is perfect and pure, but of thee we can declare all wisdom is gathered up in thee, Without particle of folly, this is the judge that ends the strife where wit and wisdom fail. This is the book untainted by any air, but is pure, unalloyed, perfect truth. He was talking about this old black book that I hold in my hand. Remember... What so many have written, especially at graduation time, they would give somebody a Bible and, and they would write those little words in. Anybody know what it, what it said? Come on, you do too. You, you, some of you have probably written it in somebody's Bible. Say that again louder. That's it. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. That sums it up rather well, don't you? Hey, he's got it there written in the Bible back there. Amen? That's true, folks. 
That's why we have to be girt about with truth. Because there is no protection and no means of victory without the truth of God's Word. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You for revealing to us the truth. And how that we can know with full assurance that You've given us the truth, not only in regards to all of the historical stuff of years gone by, Not only have you given us the truth about the precious promises of things to come, but you've given us the truth whereby our steps ought to be regulated right here and right now. And so, Lord, tonight, help us to understand that the Word of God is our means of protection, our means of support, our means of encouragement. And Lord, whereas a soldier would never dream about marching off into battle without his armor, without his weapons, help us to realize that we are ill-prepared to face the attack of the devil unless we have girded about ourselves with the truth of Your Word. Help us, Heavenly Father, to become students of the Bible. Help us to feed upon it regularly and depend upon it daily to follow it completely. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.